What is up, Metal Maniacs? This is the Judas Priest cast. And you've got another episode coming. We're here to have a discussion about Priest, but we're also here not just to talk about them, but also to make friends and talk about other issues that interest us and have broader conversations about metal at large. And we are, of course, doing our Pride Month series and we're gathering queer guests and we're talking about queer issues as related to the metal community and our roles in the metal community. To that end, we are here to help boost some content creators in the metal scene who are actively advocating for these issues. Today's guest, you might know her as Maddie, or you might know her as Beavermosh, which is her YouTube channel where she's reviewing the best of the best underground metal albums and conducting incredibly entertaining interviews <laughs> with hot artists like Necropanther. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to you, Maddie, so you can tell us more about yourself and Beavermosh. Yeah, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel. It's called Beavermosh. And I, I started it about six months ago. Um, I, I just kind of decided I I really love metal and I want to have a avenue to talk about it. And I you can go watch some of those early reviews. They're not great, but they're there. And I just kind of started kind of throwing things out in the air and just finding records that I thought weren't getting a lot of attention and 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 kind of getting in depth about them. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to pick up an audience and it, it's growing. And I think the content is becoming more professional and, I, and I'm getting a reach and I'm really honored to do that. And I, with Beavermosh, uh, essentially, I think I differentiate myself from maybe other metal content creators. And first of all, it is on YouTube and I'm not, uh, it's not a blog. And there are other metal YouTubers, but it did seem like the like the avenue where I could be the most unique um, in, in that way. I try to review things that I'm not seeing a ton of reviews, I, at least not on YouTube. I, I kind of am like, my job is to mine like the depths of Bandcamp and kind of bring exposure to like the really underground metal music, which is what I enjoy. I think that is a really cool perspective to approach it from where you want to dig up the gems to reveal them to a broader audience. You want mm -hmm. to highlight the things that deserve attention that aren't getting it. And that's a, I think it's a good perspective to have because smaller artists sometimes need that little bit of boost. And if you know they're deserving of it, then you can help provide that. There's a, I mean, when you get into like music and, and especially metal journalism, you'll, you'll like, you'll see how like the PR wing of it works. And I, I'm glad that I get all these promos, but like, it's also like some of these smaller labels just don't have that power. And I can kind of provide it in a way for music that I, that I am like really excited about, not kind of tethered to the marketing branding wing of like the metal industry. So yeah, that's kind of kind of my approach. Yeah, you mentioned not being tethered to marketing and PR. And of course, you also said you started your channel about six months ago or so. So mm -hmm. you're very much independent at this stage. So what's that like for you that you can sort of do your own thing and navigate your own direction? 
carve out your own place in the world of metal reviewing and interviewing on YouTube? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I am a one woman operation. I'm not getting like assigned things. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not working for like a, a major publication. You know, I'm not, I'm not having someone kind of analyze, you know, this is what we need to talk about to get the reach. I'm just kind of making all those decisions based on the criteria that I want to base it off of. And it's like my, that criteria is what I think <laughs> needs attention. And that's what I review. I will enjoy a lot of things that are getting broader appeal. I listen to a lot of metal, and that's kind of why I've been doing those. I, over the past few months, I've been doing these like monthly metal mentions where I just mention all the things I didn't get a video about. And that's when I will kind of say, yeah, that record from that big band was good. And I, 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 I give right. you my approval. I don't do like negative reviews at least now i and not and that's not because i don't think everything i hear is great or enjoy it. there is plenty of stuff i hear that i am like i think is average at best but i just my reaction is just not to talk about it and that's that's it and that's it because i don't see any point in just like going out of my way to like point out why this one record is you shouldn't listen to it it's like that's not it's not my it's not my role to like make up your mind for you it's i'm like recommending things and then i'm giving an outline as to why i think this record is worth your your time you're making a good decision by keeping an overall positive tone for the channel if your goal is to promote the small artists and the ones who aren't getting attention then there's really no reason to talk about something you don't like because you know it doesn't benefit anyone to tear down a small artist and it's a better use of everyone's time to highlight mm -hmm. something good. So I support that approach. Thank you. I mean, I mean, I guess negative reviews sometimes make sense if it's like a, I mean, they did like Metallica put out a, a recent album. And if, if you find it honed in or just kind of, you know, you, you sense that the band was just kind of not putting their effort in, you can call them out on that. Cause they, they you know, at that point it's a, a powerful entity, but that's the only reason why I, would think that like especially in underground metal journalism where that would make sense yeah i agree with you yeah mm -hmm. like they have the resources they have everything they need to make like really flawless stuff and yet they are like not satisfying what fans might have expected from them that's a different thing than the people who are like crowdsourcing money or coming up with what they have saved to like make something they wanted to and that might resonate with some people that that that's what their goal were like this small underground brands within is without any sponsors so it's totally two different things 100 mm -hmm. yeah agreed your work has like any connection or inspiration from metal stuff like you possibly interact with a lot of people right when you were working uh, i mean i, I Originally, I, I I did not have any connections, but I have over time kind of like I, 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 I utilize Twitter a lot and I have kind of mm -hmm. become really visible on like like the metal Twitter, um, which is a great space and I, it's a really good community. And through that, I have kind of built relations with other like people in the metal media podcasters like yourself bands 
there are there are a few artists uh that have like become like friends of the show which is like i'm an honor that like i'm somebody that they they look to in in that way and then they they enjoy my content and want to be featured on my show there are there are other websites that i've like kind of become friends with like like the people at noob heavy i've had a really good relationship with like and other sites like that that i i uh here i i appreciate what you do this is i'm a new person and 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 they and like people in the metal media are really really willing to kind of like take take new people in so i'm grateful that i've been kind of like accepted in this sphere yeah like i kind of get that most of the time i think battle twitter really flourished during this pandemic Mm-hmm. Like before there there were like people around and everything people were talking and loud but during this two years or this one and a half year people were like really interacting with each other that's why i was wondering like how people gravitated to you or how you gravitated to people now that you told us so it kind of like really is a great thing like we are when the rest of the world have been like falling apart in other issues and all we are finding new ways to like get united and putting our differences aside and find reasons to find a common ground and talk it feels great 100% and i think i think metal uh specifically is really good for that because there's already this kind of understanding is, that like the metal yeah. community is a lot of like outcast kind of spread out and so we're we're used to kind of having to find ways to get our music out to you know you're, you're not gonna find you're not gonna go down the street and like know that everybody's interested in like what you're mm-hmm. interested in. you have to find the people that are into that obscure black metal band you know <laughs> that you gotta you have yeah. to go and and so these spaces are perfect for that yeah yeah you touched on good points there about how metal is for outcasts and it's the reason that you can find some good communities within metal. And I think at least I think people should be sort of looking out for each other and taking care of each other. And that embodies the spirit of Rob Halford, where he encourages people to be inclusive and accepting. And he wants the metal space to be a place where people feel like if they don't have a place to belong, they can get that with metal. Uh, I think it was the same for him and the band as well. Like, they were in a way social, economical, and cu- cultural outcasts, like when Judas Priest was formed back in the early 70s. So I think they just wanted us to know that this place is for that, not for the divided spirits and everything. Yeah. And and it's, it's I, I was saying about this earlier today, and like, and you're correct about, you know, how Halford wanted that and and yeah i i think there was a, at some point that this like notion that metal is this very masculine you know cis hetero thing and then rob alford just becomes like this massive voice in it and just like inserts himself and and is not that and just like becomes this visible thing of people that like no it's for more people than just that and so yeah Yeah, especially since he became an out of the closet openly gay man and back in the 1980s 
his record companies would have him do these photo shoots for magazines and stuff with uh, sexy female models mm-hmm. to try and cover up the fact that he was gay. And I mean, for the most part, a lot of people bought it. It was a fairly well-kept secret that he was gay from the audience, at least. I mean, supposedly within the music industry, people knew and accepted it and didn't care. But, you know, the people who are in more sorts of artistic fields generally are more accepting of that because, like you said, we're all outcasts anyway. I happened to read K.K. Downing's book, and he mentioned having a gay friend growing up in Britain. And when Rob joins the band, he never thought of him any differently. So, you know. It goes to show that while it may seem like there's a lot of hate in the world nowadays, and there is, there are also plenty of people who are accepting and never would have had any thought of treating people differently. And sometimes it's encouraging to hear those stories, too. Yeah. And, you know, this is why it kind of makes me sad and everything. Like, you know, the notion has changed a lot, but it hasn't changed much in this context. Like, people would say, like, be who you are, just don't talk about it. And it was the same back then. It is the same right now as well. Like, people want you to have double standards, have two faces. Like, they were like, like, just don't talk about it. Just don't make it public. It, it's not going to help anyone. And all of these kind of, you know, notions. And it is not just for this specifically, but for a lot of things. If you have different opinions, if you have different thoughts and everything, you would always be like asked to keep it within yourself. They might be even accepting of you, uh, but then even they will say like, okay, get it, you're different. Just don't like take it to, to outside. And that thing kind of caused more harm than like help. And even the journey yeah. of Judas Priest as this kind of band, this accepting band kind of was harmed, I guess, before Halford uh, came out or, you know, things like this. When things are kept under the rugs, you would stumble on the floor if things are under the rug, right? So That's a great analogy. Yeah, I mean... I mean, obviously, I wasn't around during that time, but that's, I don't know how that works, right? Like, how do you tell somebody, it's okay, you could be gay, just keep it to yourself. How do, what, that, then you're not actually, you know, like, being allowed to, you're not being accepted. That, that's, that's just, that doesn't, that, to us, like, that doesn't Diet acceptance. Sense. Yeah. Halfway yeah. acceptance. <laughs> I can't, like, understand like I can kind of like by reading history, but I still can't like comprehend the gravity or or what it took for Rob Halford to come out at the time that he did. Yeah, it was definitely a really tough decision to make, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It, uh, it was a decision that caused him probably a fair amount of anxiety because he was wondering, will this totally sink my career? Will it, totally alienate my fan base and i'm happy to say that a majority of the fan base was accepting i mean sure you lose a few ignorant jerks but then you gain more fans along the way and Uh you hope to gain more fans than you lose and i think they have which is great 
obviously, because none of us were born yet when the band was in their heyday. I'm 32, turning 33 soon. I don't know how old you are. I'm 29. Okay, so right around the same time. Yeah, and I'm 31. So yeah, we are in this sweet spot. I think the talk we've just been having is a really good segue into you, Maddie, telling us a little bit about your role and your identity and how you fit into the metal scene as a queer person and what your experience has been like. Yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been fascinating to see just this niche of like queer metalheads is like there is like a community of us and 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 it it in maybe like 10 years ago I don't think it would be as visible of a corner of the metal scene but there are so many projects of like trans people putting out like black metal like I have multiple cassettes of that very thing who do you want to name drop who do you want to shout out yeah so one of my favorite bands doing that is melissa they are a blackened kind of punk band out of out of brooklyn and they've only put out a couple eps i'm really looking forward to a a full length but definitely check out melissa i recently reviewed a project uh from the name of lust tag I can't remember where, but it's it's in a state you don't expect a lot of. I think it's Montana, but don't quote me on that. But like where you get a lot of don't get a lot of black metal. And then just today off of Fiat Records, he puts out a lot of great kind of leftist queer metal, put out uh, a split between Feminizer and God, I can't remember the last band's name, but check that out because it's really good. But yeah, just like seeing that there's so many artists doing that, but I, I I should mention that I am that I am trans, and I don't make that the focus of my show. Like I it's, I have mentioned it, but I I'm I'm just someone who loves metal. It's a huge part of my life, and I wanted to talk about it, but I don't shy away from who I am either. And I think a lot of people have seen that and maybe seen maybe this authenticity and have kind of gravitated towards it because i like i've said there are other metal youtubers but none of them really look like me at least to my knowledge i do get a lot of transphobic comments they are the minority but i do get a lot of them there are people that are very mad that i am on the internet i'm not intimidated by that um they're not gonna get me to stop making videos but in a weird way, I'm kind of honored that I'm getting the attention of the shitheads too, because you're getting you comment on my video, you you get the algorithm still working. And I am and somehow I am growing right. where you care that to like make a comment on my video, you know, take the time to go out of your way to like say whatever you need to say. I will just ignore you, but thanks, thanks for the traffic. that's a great way to look at it and approach it you know you gotta make light of it where you can and uh it's a really terrible thing that people are just giving you grief for being who you are where you're providing a great service for the metal community in donating your free time to parse through a whole bunch of albums and highlight which ones you think are good 
And really, if people are going to hate you, the worst thing they could possibly do is not watch. If they're giving you comments, then it's totally helping you, like you said, whether the comments are good or bad. I did want to mention the the band that did the split with Feminizer. I did look it up. It's they're bury them and keep quiet. So just that's that that was important for you to get out. But uh, when we were talking about Rob Halford kind of inserting himself, I find that inspiring in in what I'm what I'm doing. Like if I can find a way to kind of be a a microphone for kind of the queer community and and be kind of a visible space in like people who talk about metal on the internet as a trans person and all of a sudden people are listening to me i mean i think i think it just kind of changes in some small way what people visualize as a metal fan a metal head someone who belongs in metal and if i could do something like that 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 means a, that's that that i think means a lot to me if i get to can do that in some capacity i think that Mm -hmm. is something that is useful to the community i agree now i'm not old but i'm old enough to remember when you could hear and see a lot more homophobic jokes on tv in the 90s and early 2000s and as a society we've definitely shied away from that at least in the U.S. where I live, that's very much not okay anymore. Mm-hmm. Times have changed. And when that was starting to shift, the anti-gay stuff was really being less seen on TV. I noticed an attitude where gay folks, they weren't so into the whole stereotypes that people just painted gay people with a broad paintbrush. They mm-hmm. wanted to really get away from stereotypes and just act like everyone else and be seen as normal and be seen like everyone else. And in a way, I think that's a good approach that if trans people choose to present themselves as just being normal, regular folks like everyone else, then it helps the broader world see trans folks in that same light. You know, they're just people. We're all people. 100%. You know, it's there trans people are out there you know it's it's 2023 i think people I, I think if you're not used to that now i mean i think that says more about you than anyone else so exactly. of course yeah so you're in minneapolis mm-hmm. and the metal scene out there how do you feel a bit in terms of their level of acceptance based on going out the people you run into the people you meet at shows and all that we we do have a couple prominent acts. Um, Majesties just put out record this melodic death metal uh, band. I believe it came off a twenty bucks spin, um, and that's getting a lot of attention. And everything I I know I don't know them personally, but everything I know, you know, they're they're pretty left leaning people, and, and a lot of the bands in Minneapolis are. From well, you know, Panopticon is now, from my, my understanding, based in Minnesota, not in Minneapolis. But um, there used your to album be a, is Kentucky. It it is. But when I order Panopticon merch, I get a Minnesota address. There used to be a venue in Minneapolis called the Triple Rock. It shut down a few years ago, but it was kind of where all the metal shows 
happened. And it's really sad that we don't really have like a venue dedicated to that anymore. We still get shows. Uh, I saw Enslaved in Minneapolis a couple weeks ago. I'm seeing Obituary and Immolation and Blood Incantation Wednesday. And I am so fucking excited for that. But I will run into kind of the people I'm used to seeing that go to metal shows in Minneapolis. You know, you you go to enough shows in your city for this specific thing, you're going to run into people. And I have yet to experience any hostility from showgoers in, in my city. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> Minnesota nice is a thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, the cops aren't, but for the most part, that is, uh, <laughs> that is anywhere. A, <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is one Minneapolis stereotype that I, I think has is grounded in some truth. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one has legs. I, I only visited once. I had a really fantastic time and I didn't meet anyone who I didn't like. So, yeah, yeah, I'll put over Minneapolis right now. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it really does sound to me like you have a great scene, so I'm happy to hear that. you're a judas priest podcast and and something that i've actually have learned about priest over the past handful of months actually because i started a new job recently i i work behind the bar serving drinks uh at this restaurant it's kind of in a more upper middle class neighborhood like these are not people that are like gonna metal is just not going to appeal to people you know the brunch crowd it's just just they're not the type of people that this is music is made for right like they're not that's fair they're not they're not going hail satan you know they they have the comforts of having you know six digit salaries like it's it just <laughs> it, it, i don't think this i i just i don't think they're seeking out you know underground bands i, mean, I could be wrong but it just it they're not i they they're not they're, they don't fit they're not they're not doing that i i can tell um but people will like regulars ask me what I do outside of work. And I have mentioned the channel. Like they, oh, I'm like kind of like a metal critic. And people will be like, oh, that's interesting. And then they'll like they'll talk about how they grew up around hair metal. Like it, it, that and that's interesting too. Like even even now, like people still like perceive metal as being like kiss and van halen like it's like that's like people uh, really don't understand that there is yeah. like this underground scene even in 2023 people that live like very kind of like in the nine to five mm-hmm. world they may or may not remember the concert scene from ace ventura <laughs> yeah maybe that'll you know, be the heaviest music they're familiar with that is yes yeah, the heaviest they they know that's out there but 
I will say, I will mention that one of a band that I appreciate is Judas Priest. Like, oh, oh yeah. Then they'll they'll know and they'll be like, and what that speaks to me that like Judas Priest had big appeal. Like they were a successful act, but they never they did it in a way where they never you you can never accuse Judas Priest of diluting their sound or you know like never having this authenticity they were artists the entire time they just happened to find a way to make that appealing and and kind of have a crossover appeal to people who like broader music listening landscape and that's that's a huge thing like that's that's very impressive and and important Yeah. yeah they were brutally honest with what they wanted and as much as they could, they would put it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Priest had broad appeal. They reached across the aisle to so many people. And they were honest about what they wanted. They said, mm-hmm. we want to be on the radio. And we want people at our concerts. As many people as we can fit through the gates. We want everyone to hear this message. If every single song that they had on an album and every single song that they played live was pure pop and they switched directions that drastically, then maybe there might be some sort of argument about selling out. But when you go see the band live, you're going to hear, you got another thing coming and you're going to hear living after midnight, but you're also going to hear the Sentinel and you're going to hear painkiller So you're getting a solid dose of heavy screaming metal and they never left that behind. They always tried to provide a little bit of something different for a whole different variety of people while making it so that metal could be inviting and approachable to people who didn't think it was. And that's why they're able to put out a firepower very recently and have an album that is just ripping heavy metal and quality record in the 2020s and where a lot of like those staple metal bands are just not able to do like the latest Megadeth record was was fine. Like a lot of a lot of those like classic bands are just not don't have that same you could tell that Judas Priest never resigned or like, you know, kind of just dialed something in. They just, they're still that artist. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? While recording an episode, figured out or found out from George that Judas Priest were thinking of like this banding after Epitaph Tour, like it. So, yeah, it kind of devastated me at that point. Like, oh my God, they were going to do that. But yes, they always were and still are committed to doing what they want to put out instead of pleasing like people or pleasing this crowd or whatever it is or for like commercial success through and through. Like, of course, they had to like make space for commercial content and they possibly never had the, all the says in it, especially in the initial albums more so. Mm-hmm. But they always have this kind of determination to put their artist part before their commercial part. And I think that's why a lot of people still can 
relate to their, this band and their quality of their content is always better than like a, a lot of their con- contemporaries. I'm not saying all of the albums are amazing, but they try their best to maintain quality and their authenticity. They put out Painkiller like after some of their most commercially successful, successful records. They could have went a more pop direction, but they wanted to make Painkiller. And it's so good. Totally. <laughs> yeah. They literally, like we oftentimes say that they did not want it to be, you know, not pigeonholed. They wanted to be pigeonholed as the heavy metal band instead of like playing it safe all the time. Halford would always greet people, my metal maniacs and all that. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to exclusively be a metal band instead of like, yeah, I'm hard rock. I can get anywhere. I'm like potato. I can be eaten with anything here. They never shied away from that label. That's a good point. Bands in the 90s, they actively tried to get away from that because the word rock is more marketable than metal. But Priest has just always said, we're metal talking about it all the time that's what we are even though their whole album might not agree all the time like some of the amazing songs are not necessarily middle or they were but they still as a whole in spirit wanted to be a heavy metal band and i think that says a lot about who they are they are not like shy out to admit who they are what their personal identities are their struggles are or the kind of band they are. They've been honest about all that. And another point you hit, maybe not all of their songs are metal. Like mm. the song we're going to be breaking down in this episode, you might be able to say that crosses well over into the realm of pop. Mm-hmm. We can say that. I think the guitars are still there. But yes, I can see it's not as ferocious as maybe some of the other tracks. Yeah. It's pretty emotional, and it's a love song. Okay, so when you say this song, or when you think of it, what do you call it? I call it Take These Chains, even though the title has that weird parentheses in it, and it's like, it's. Yeah. I guess you could just call it Chains, but people I know say Take These Chains. I mean, it's it's Take These Chains is like... When I hear the, it's the, I get the prominent line in the chorus, right? Like I, I, I hear take these chains. I don't want to cut that off. Right, like I, right. I don't, I don't, I, the, the, I don't know what the parentheses are there for. What do it's they the need those parentheses for? Yeah. What, really? <laughs> Open parentheses, take these, close parentheses, chains. That doesn't roll off the tongue. I guess, yeah. like, yeah, it was a mixed decision. Someone wanted to keep chains. And then someone didn't want to sacrifice the take this part. So like, okay, uh, all of you win. with parentheses. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm reaching here, but like, maybe the band's trying to communicate. This is take these chains is what we want. You, we want these chains gone, but it's not going to happen. So the take these section, it's a, it's a wish. Like, it's just like, we know it's <laughs> not a reality. So we're going to put it in parentheses because like the chains are the reality. The change or, is being tangible. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Or they're just trying to emphasize that part of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I go like out of the way. Like, you know, you say take this or take this chains. I say take this chains off. I always have been mm-hmm. saying, that, mm-hmm. yeah, take this chains off. Yeah, it's a fact. Yeah. Take them off of my heart. Mm-hmm. And 
where does this song fall in the track order? Okay. Side it's a, on side one. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's on the side A. Track number five. So take these changes in the first half of Screaming for Vengeance. You actually get there pretty quick. I guess I normally think of this as a later song, but not that late. You're there in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, It kind of changes the theme of the album from like very heavy things like the Hellion and Electric Eye are kind of political songs. Riding on the Wind is like biker kind of song and then there is Bloodstone, which also have this kind of like narrative regarding like you know political or social social, and then comes the exchange of it kind of seg- uh, segues to this kind of romantic or personal kind of theme, and then it continues to the next song, which is Pain and Pleasure. So this this uh, song yeah. kind of changes the theme of the album, but it was before until this song i like that analysis i never really thought about it that way but you're right i think it makes total sense to have pain and pleasure come after take these chains makes a good arc and i think it even makes some sort of sense to have take these chains after bloodstone because the album is starting to slow down a little bit with Mm -hmm. bloodstone at least compared to Electric Eye and Riding on the Wind, which are pretty fast. You know the funny part? Inside 2, like this is a pain and pleasure is the last track of Side 1 or CD 1, whatever. But thematically, possibly they had like better things in mind. But from my perspective, Fever should have been after pain and pleasure. Like, you know, that's also a not very political fact like which is screaming for vengeance and you've got another thing coming R by the way so it comes after that so it it would be like you know you would possibly expecting more of this kind of like not so political or social commentary related tracks after pain and pleasure and more personal tracks like that like fever so this kind of gives me a little off vibe so when I was listening to it I changed my playlist that way just so I can hear a fever after pin pleasure. Make that custom track order. Yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. I would say that it's probably a relic of the vinyl era that Screaming for Vengeance comes after Pain and Pleasure. Because Screaming for Vengeance, like you said, that's a crazy, furious metal song. And yeah. they probably put it there because they wanted it to start the side B of the album. But when you're listening to the whole album in the digital age, you are just kind of relaxed from pain and pleasure. Dream for Vengeance comes in and hits you like a truck. I don't think about that often, but when you talk about, like, you know, music made in the vinyl era, you know, like they organized album breakfast in this idea that it's a it's just a whole interact like a physical thing. You know, you, you get up, you put the record on. You start it off, and then there's a whole like event there, and then you go down, you sit down, you hear the first record, and there has to be like a, something to like signify, okay, this is chapter two, and now you are standing up to flip the record over. We need to symbolize that somehow. Yeah, and you have to consider the culture of the era where if people didn't have that much free time, they could, and sometimes did, just listen to a single side. Like, 
I'm going to put on side B of Screaming for Vengeance. I'm going to put mm-hmm. on side A of Screaming for Vengeance if they only have like 20 minutes to spare. And so you have to kind of balance the track list so that each side has a fulfilling listen. Yeah, that that's fat. I don't. I, that that is just not how I consume music. But that, I, I, but that makes sense for people back then to do it that way. I guess I've never thought of it that way. It's so weird when you have to think about things in the context of how the music industry operated forty years ago, because of the way people consumed things differently. Well, that's a lot of preamble. I'm really enjoying the chat, but you know what? I'm feeling like it's time to listen to some music. You agree? Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Fuck yeah. I just say right off the bat, I think one of the, the the reasons why I've always really enjoyed this track is I think this song is a perfect example of Alfred's ability to almost be an actor in his songs. Like you could tell, like within every couple lines, he changes his voice. There's a different, almost like a different character coming out. Like in the spacey section like i move away it doesn't do me no good there's more of a, of a questioning with the help me begging you please gets more assertive and then the give me some kind of life there's almost some kind of like desperate cry like there's three different things coming out of him here and i love that yeah i like that analysis maddie okay so let me give you all a little insight into my 14 year old brain This is when I first started discovering music in general and Judas Priest. And I was listening to Screaming for Vengeance. And Take These Chains is one of the songs that probably hit me the quickest on -hmm. Screaming for Vengeance. That makes sense. It's one of the popular tunes. But I had never yet been to a concert at that point because I was new to this. And I was just imagining pictures in my brain, videos in my brain of how a concert would be and with every song sort of picturing in my head a band playing this on stage and I could just imagine the sort of dance moves that Rob would do (laughs) during each song literally thinking about him sliding and getting down on his knees on stage when he's singing that one line you mentioned the whole showmanship aspect Uh, I could just I can picture all of that in my brain when I think about what the, what he would do singing this. Yeah. Like 
I guess in every episode, we find one way or another to discuss this amazing stage performance and this stage persona of Rob Halford like comes with in live performances. Like he would command everyone's attention. And I think that's why, that's what we get it from here. Like we, even when we are just listening to it in our head, in head with headphones and with no visuals in front of us, we still kind of are thinking how how Ford would portray this persona in, that is depicted in this song, and how things might sway in different ways with different verses. And we also talk about that, like how he changes one word and into different meanings by singing it differently. So we are feeling different things when he's singing some, even the same thing. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point, Hattie. Because I now that you said that, I, I do. I when I listen to Priest, I do visualize somebody performing these tracks, and I don't think I necessarily do that with every band I listen to. But Priest, I definitely have like a there's an image that is like being given to me. Like I can almost hear the image, you know. Mm-hmm. I think part of that ties into how. This band were pioneers of the sort of look that was adopted by metal at large. The leather, yeah. the spikes, the jackets, the denim, the sunglasses, everything. And Glenn's sweatpants. I, I got my spikes. I got my jacket. I'd buy by the by the that uniform. Don't we all? <laughs> uh, so far, I would say that, like you mentioned, Maddie, there's a buildup in the song. And not just lyrically, also musically. So it starts out with just that one little guitar line. Then Rob comes in. And then once you get to the third line, the help me, that's when you get that cymbal crash from Dave Holland. And then he kicks into the beat. And that's when the song really starts moving. And once you start getting into the chorus, it's just the energy's there. And that clean guitar in the beginning, it's it, I just love it. It has an echo effect onto it. It's very reverberating and kind of open and it almost like sucks you in. It's like there's like a, there's like a atmosphere there and then it just kind of gets more and more laser focused till you get those big, choppy, distorted, you know, big hitting riffs. Yeah. The way they I can already, yeah, I can already smell Glenn in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. And what also I think is uh, I mean like about it like the soft guitar sound that it begins with it kind of gets us into the 80s time like yeah. that kind of thing screams 80s like yeah it looks very like that a lot most of the songs or the movie OSTs or movie scores everything has this kind of like a soft kind of breezy or whatever guitar sound that kind of pulls people into the scene of or the landscape or what of whatever narration is going to happen next you can put the first 15 seconds of the song uh into like one of the popular like new wave records of the time mm-hmm. and it probably wouldn't seem that out of place obviously the rest of the track wouldn't but that segment definitely could like you it could it could fit in other records mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it could now and you could look at that two ways you could look at that positive or negative because the cynical side might say well 
it sounds like it could fit onto other records because it's so basic or general that they could have used it for anything. And so I see how that might be a criticism that someone might poke holes in. Maybe not yeah, I, but, but someone. Well, well, yeah, somebody could, but I think there's a difference between letting maybe what's popular or letting other influences um, dictate where your music goes. It controls the trajectory because you want to reach a, a target audience or, you know, it's like focus grouped almost versus what I think Priest is doing where they are hearing what's going on and enjoying some aspects of maybe something out of metal and, and bringing it in, but still being the boss of where the song go. They're just like saying, Hey, these are, these are touch cells that we could, we could be influenced by and, and play with, but we could bring it in and still be mm-hmm. authentically us. Yeah. You know what's uh, when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking of like an outfit. It is being completely made of sequin and versus a outfit made of denim or whatever else. But it has like some kind of highlights with some sequin strands. Like it's not made of the whole thing, but it has some of that in it so it respects or like includes the spirit of that time as well as a touch of something different a little contrast that makes the whole thing pop so it can be taken many different ways but the thing is they are not losing their authenticity but they are just being inclusive of the time which i think is totally cool and also sometimes have to be like practice as well but sometimes it doesn't hurt to be mindful of the things around you and that's what they're doing. They're doing that. They're taking that a little bit of that in and also making that like presenting it in their own way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a good combination. Yeah, well said. Well said for sure. I think it's time to hear a little more of the song. Sure, let's do it. Are you sure? 100%. That's what I like to hear. progression i love in judas priest songs how they try to make the second verse a little different than the first they try to make the second chorus a little different than the first so now in this second verse you've got the rhythm guitar line chugging in the background so even though they kept building and building to the chorus they reached the chorus that doesn't mean they break it all down and go back to square one again there's still 
some sense of progression as you're continuing on in the song. And I think that they did a good job of that on this one. Same thing in the chorus. They throw in those little guitar licks after each line that you didn't get in the first chorus. Yeah, it's those little subtleties, you know, that make that separate great bands from good bands. You know, bands that can, like, really pay attention to those nuances that you're bringing up, which Judas Priest does. I hear the theatrics of that Halford brings, the like the poor, poor me. You can almost hear him transitioning to almost like this crying, like, poor, poor me, like, before that second chorus comes in. And then... Before the solo, where he goes, I can't sleep at night. Almost like this, like attitude, like this, like I can't sleep at night, like this pissed off, like delivery there. Like I, I love that. Yeah, the pitch of his voice just goes way up there, and you can notice those sorts of things. Those are the subtleties, and they're great at that. Mm-hmm. They delivered the emotion expected from that song, like up to the point, and the background guitars, the drums, everything kind of complements it. Some of the lyrics, too, on this second verse are pretty intense. You know, reach out to me as if I'm from the grave. As like, you know, yeah. not even death can get you out of my head. I'm tied to you like a slave. Those are very intense images. This is like, maybe you said like a pop tune, but some of these lines are not pop lyrics. <laughs> like yeah. the whole song, it, it has this sort of, it's before the time, like, even BDSM was a thing or like mm. we a lot of things were not there and it, it like on the like on surface it seems like an unfair and um uh, you know abusive uh, love relationship where one person is uh, simply so badly influenced by the other that they are in despair and writing this song I mean singing this song and um yeah, it uh, sort of uh, from the beginning it uh, says that kind of narrative. Um, one person is uh, physically moving away, but still not capable of like getting this other person from their head, and um, they are begging that thing to be over. They're asking them to like get out of their head and all that. And by the third verse, we also already see the relapse. Like, they were like, no, they just don't get out of me. Just reach out to me. And like, even if I'm not uh, alive anymore, just get out of, get me back in and all that. And then they're going a little back, like how they turn them into this uh, mental slave of theirs and all that. So, yeah, the concept is kind of not old or not new necessarily, but the way the song is portrayed kind of is graphic. Like there were possibly songs of like this theme, like a person who is quote unquote moving away, but not really. But this uh, narrative narration was really graphic and possibly, you know, way realistic of how uh, like unequal, inequal or abusive relationships happened and how is it gaslighting or whatever mm-hmm. the actual term is like happens like you just are being a middle slave that's how badly you were abused and it is uh, depicted here like in unfair relationships and as we are talking about it in June we barely talk about 
these kind of things that happens in queer relationships. Like not always they are flower and candy, not as much as it's true that we have been inside the closet and everything that about that is correct. That's also true that a lot of like queer relationships were really unfair and extremely abusive and there were barely any ways to acknowledge it or talk about it. I think in a way now we know everything about Halford. We can shed some light on that from these lyrics as well. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about, you know, the earlier tracks on this record, we were talking about the um the sequencing of of the track listing and we were talking about how maybe some of the other tracks were political and in maybe a way this track is political maybe it wasn't as obvious back then but there there is definitely some queer coding going on here and it says at the time to put that in is very bold and and i can almost mm-hmm. I, I i don't know if this was in halford's head obviously like someone else wrote these lyrics but even when halford's interpretation like i wonder if the take these chains was this i'm in the closet can you take, can I, can I be on a leash? Can I come out? Can you take these chains of society off of me? Can I, can I, can I be me? Can I come out? But this home, you know, the homophobia that is so present, mm-hmm. it's treating me like a slave. It has chains on me. Maybe I'm reaching with that. I do. I hear it in 2023 and I get that perception that that was going through his head. Yeah. Great point. Can, and Yeah. yeah. And we talked about this a little bit earlier before we got on the call. This is a song not written by the members of Judas Priest. They had an outside songwriter, Bob Callaghan Jr., but the band would not have put this on the album and performed it if they didn't believe in the song and identify with it in some way. So, yeah, I mean... The lyrics might have been written by someone else and the structure of the song might have been written by someone else, but Judas Priest are the ones who played it. And I bet they liked the song because they identified with something in it. And now it's their song for sure. Totally. And I kind of, I do agree with what you said, Barry. Like these things can also be interpreted in political way. Like, you know, how we are slaves of this kind of leaders who are like this very abusive towards us. And, but we are kind of, you know, at even bigger loss without them. So we just like, okay, fine. We are going to be uh, electing you again. We are going to like, uh, let you sit there what, for five more years and all that because we don't have better alternatives. Take us in. Yeah. We wouldn't know anything about that as Americans now, would we? No, there's no way. There's no connection with you at your political reality at this at all. <laughs> Hashtag sarcasm. Yeah, not everyone might have picked up on the sarcasm, Hattie, but uh, I think we did. Who wants to hear more of the song? We're about to get to the solo. Yes. Love a good solo.
There we go. That is take these chains. That <laughs> that lead. There were a lot of bands within Kenny with the new wave of British heavy metal scene that played guitar solos, right? And a lot of them were just as technical. Uh, they could shred. The guitarist in Judas Priest, Tipton and Downing, they're phrasing. Like, there was a lyrical quality to it. You could just, like, pick individual passages. It's so memorable. Like, you know, you got those screeching leads. You played fast. There's so many, like, little bits and pieces of notes. Like, it, it's almost like a hooky in its own sense. And they were so good at Yeah. That. Yeah. Well, yeah. A good guitar line should be a hook unto itself. But it takes a great writer to write that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Eddie, yeah. what do you got? Oh, so I was trying to say that, you know, these uh, solos or this uh, whole instrumental parts in the Unispris song, they are like telling their own story. Like you have the, the, some of these stories that Rob is singing verbally. And then there is this solo, not just in this song, there are many other songs we hear that. It also kind of, you know, takes the theme of that song and if you are listening to it, you'll see another story or another picture popping up in your head and you will visualize that musical part, which is like pretty big deal. And I'm not saying just for this song, like possibly in future, we're going to discuss another song where I have the vision of a song inside a song. And we only have one little chunk to thank for that. Take these chains. It's a love song. But it's a love song about a love turned bad. Yeah. It's an obsession song. And I think Mm -hmm. the obsession becomes more apparent the more you look into it, especially in the pre-chorus. Help me. I'm begging you, please. You got the power. I'm down on my knees. Get this sort of mixed feelings of the protagonist, how they're in this place where they're hurting. And it seems like the relationship is the cause. And yet they're coming back to this person out of a place where they feel there's a sheer need. And the obsession continues within the thoughts of this narrator. Just 3,000 miles don't help like I thought it would. They can't stop thinking about this person. They can't get them out of their mind. The chains are metaphorical. The hooks of the chains mm-hmm. is obsession. Totally a mental binding towards this person, this abusive person. They just can't get enough of this abuse or whatever that uh, negativity is. And they just, uh, at first they want to uh, like get away from it and then they want to run back to it. So we see an unpleasant picture of the reality we live in like how we are often like get so comfortable with being treated and unfairly like we just can't live without it you know and to add on to those those themes when i was listening to this with you too i was really my ears really honed in on on to the rhythm section as well dave allen and ian hill like it's so steady and continuous and just like keeps going at this like very even pace and also just 
is like kind of symbolizing that you're not getting away from this. Like it's continuously going. Like it's just like it is the reality. And I, I that's that's something that I got from just like the base work. Yeah, makes sense. It's all put together with purpose. And that's the mark of a great song. Well, I guess that's a great way to transition into Maddie. Tell us why you picked this song in particular. You mentioned this was one you'd be really excited to talk about. So, hey, why is this the one? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) I so from my understanding, Take These Chains, it's not an obscure Judas Priest song by any means. But it's like not a track that like people that like are not Judas Priest fans might know. It's like not one of like the touchstones, you know, it's it's not you've got another thing coming, right? It's it's right. kind of it's kind of a deep cut, but not really. And so because mm-hmm. it's on this popular album. Yeah, but I it bothered me is it's like, well, I when I listen to this record. You know, it's one of their most popular record, you know, the kind of like the Judas Priest record, this and Bridge Steel that you show people to kind of get them into the band. This track, for some reason, always stood out to me. Like, it's like it's like one. And you mentioned it, too. Like, it kind of popped, like, especially the chorus is really stick. If you didn't know that you've got another thing coming with probably one of the mo- most popular tracks in this record, you, you you might think that Take These Chains was the one that's going to be huge. This is probably why they put it out of the single. I just have yeah. always really enjoyed <laughs> this track. And then like just what we've talked about, I, I, I've i always kind of sensed this underlying secretive queerness in it that I think Rob was growing at people <laughs> during this time, like being very obviously mm-hmm. queer, but not actually explicitly saying it. It's like, if you know, you know, but if you are oblivious, you can also be oblivious. And I think this track kind of is one of those where he's screaming at it, but not actually saying it. Yeah, he you is. See that. He yeah. is a top talent at that. Hey, I think that's a great way to look at it. It's a cool little under the radar track. It's not super duper under the radar, like something from, I don't know, Rock or Roll Up. Because it's on this popular album, and yet it is one of those songs that got less attention, despite it being a single. You hit on a lot of great points there, Maddie. So I appreciate you coming on to talk about this one. I've actually gone a little back and forth with this track. You know, I've loved it, and then I've not loved it. I've said, oh, this is too cheesy. It kind of drags down the heavier tracks on the album. But in hindsight, you know, I've I've come a little bit full circle and now I feel it's okay that Screaming for Vengeance has a little something different, something lighter, something of a reprieve from the heavy songs because other albums have that too. Yeah. This is not a power ballad, you know, like, you know, that you'd expect from like, I don't know, like a poison or something. No, it's it's not. It's just kind of like a change of pace. True. Patty, you got any final thoughts on this one? They included this track because they had this um, expectation that since this is a relationship-related song, and even though these kind of things were not, and possibly still are not like the most uh, famed uh, themes in metal tracks, but people like the fans, the metalheads are people too. Uh, people have relationships; they have partners. So a lot. Uh, this might be some song that 
could be uh, relatable to a lot of people and it would be a rather playable song on radio. I think that was the reason this was chosen. I guess as much as this expectation or anticipation was honest and really heartfelt, uh, it possibly did not uh, deliver that to satisfy that expectation. But with time, we have like now that we have this very diverse acceptance of metal and what it is supposed to mean and how it is being perceived. Now, I think it's a good time to give this song another go and listen to it with uh, that mindset in mind that not everything has to be heavy and like super political in heavy metal, even though personally I gravitated to metal because it talks about politics, talks about the heavier things that I am mostly invested or interested in. But it doesn't always have to be the same. We are humans too. We possibly are people with partners or maybe not with partners. We possibly are abused or not. But different contexts also can be a part of a great album and also kind of give us a break from the other themes and other things and remind us that we are people too. So we can have more people-inclusive songs here. Yeah, and likewise, like I'm typically drawn to metal because I, I do like some of the darker themes or some of the more fantasy themes. They just touch me, you know. Like I, that's what I what I like. It it means something to me. Where I don't really connect to what's more broader, kind of given on the radio. But still, there is value in Priest kind of giving this track to kind of maybe at the time humanized a metalhead where people just saw them as person wears black, w- listens to Satan, you know, worships Satan, you know, it's not all of that. It's uh, there is there, there's a person there, you know? And yeah, I, I think I what the strategically, like, there was, there was a reason for, it, you know, they, they, they picked this song as a song to kind of have a broader appeal on their terms on their terms being the key part of that i like that maddie now here's something weird would you believe that judas priest only played this song live in 2019 no shit like the first time that's right what yeah and 30 something years later i bet you might be a little curious to hear what that sounds like so here is a short snippet for fun.
Kick that's, ass. She's goddamn. That's I mean that's 2019, and, and it's still that's such a convincing performance, right? This is that that's not a cash grab. They're not just going in there to take their paycheck and leave. Like they're still performing and it's like there's that music still means something to them and they're yes that's incredible like a lot of bands that have been doing this so long are not performing that way in recent times you know yeah there's a lot of creative drive to take a song that's 37 years old you've never played before and say well you know what what if we tried it how would it be why the hell not you know, yeah. they're having fun. Yeah. You could see Rob's face. Like, he, he's into it. Interestingly, you also get to hear what the song is like with a hard ending because the studio track, it fades out at the end. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying that 37 years old at that point, I guess uh, Faulkner was younger than the song itself, right? <laughs> Probably close to it. Uh, uh, how old is he? Yeah. Was he born yet mm-hmm. in 1982? Okay, Sweet. he was three years old when Screaming for Vengeance was out. Sweet. All right. Okay, he was like, uh, anyway, as I was saying, that like, KK and Glenn were not part of this adoration when this uh, song was played. So it was yeah, a kind of. That was played Andy with... Sneap and Ricky yeah. Faulkner. Also, Dave Holland was in prison, so Scott was playing the drums. So it was with a completely new ensemble, and it still slapped, to say the least. It was amazing. I think that about does it. Thank you so, so much for lending all of your insight and perspective, Maddie. You were awesome. Please plug your pluggables. Yeah, thank you again for having me uh giving me the opportunity to kind of talk to a different audience that may not watch my channel but i yes do please if you like album reviews and you you do i i tend to i do touch about all kinds of metal but i tend to really like focus in on more of like the black metal and death metal side of things so if that is something you're open to do check out beaver mosh on youtube it's you can find it just searching that in and Give me a subscribe. I would doubt in the world to me. I don't know what the name means. I've done. I have no answer for that. It's Beaver Rush. You can find me on Twitter too. I'm very active, and if you want constant recommendations, I'm always posting Bandcamp leaks. Uh, also, it's Beaver Mosh on Twitter. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to have more of you in my little community. You know, there are people that kind of comment regularly on my videos and there's kind of this small little fostering happening so come join that it would mean a lot to me yeah maddie's great give her a follow everyone thank you so much for joining us for another great episode and continuing these important discussions we're having during the month of june all right that's all the heavy metal chatter we've got for this episode of Judas Priestcast. so until next time Keep defending the faith.